and welcome back to Ranking 76, where we are ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. I am Eric. I'm Matt. I almost said I was Matt. I don't know where the hell that came Again? from. Again? You did that earlier. Did I really? Well, yeah, I remember a couple, like, first or second episode. Well, that's weird. I'm definitely Eric. Um, and today, we're doing our uh, third Native American leader, uh, and it's a big name, but probably not as big of a name as Sitting Bull Crazy Horse. Uh, today we're talking about Red Cloud. Red Cloud. Never heard of him. He is a Sioux leader, um, and we'll, we'll get into it. He has quite the life. It definitely takes a turn. Um, and then, just like our Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa episodes, the tone of these episodes might be a little bit different, because as I said then, there's just not as much that's funny and or entertaining about this Native American journey uh, through this time in our history. So keep that in mind. I also want to put out the caveat, I am not part of the Sioux Nation. Uh, if you are Sioux, Lakota, Blackface, um, please reach out. I'd love to know more uh, what I get, Rod. Um, and then just from a narrative perspective, I might be using some general terms like war leader, war chief. Um, I know those aren't the actual Lakota, Dakota words. Um, I'm using it just to kind of keep consistent vocabulary going. So keep that in mind as well. So with that said, I think we can just jump right into it. Unless Matt, you can tell me everything about Red Cloud right now. He was a leader. He sure was. Okay. In California. Just kidding, Arizona. Just kidding, New Mexico. I mean, you can keep guessing. It's, it's, you, you I'm just kidding. It's Tennessee. Let's get going. Oh, dear. <laughs> Red Club was born near modern-day North Platte, Nebraska in 1822. Matt, where did you grow up? Uh, what, what, Minnesota. No, yeah. What, what state? In South Dakota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> he was a neighbor, essentially. Anyway, uh, born in North Platte, in, uh, Nebraska in 1822. His parents were Lone Man, a Brule Lakota leader, and his mother walks as she thinks. Red Cloud gains his name from a meteor that had burst through the Earth's atmosphere a couple days before that had turned the sky red, which is pretty awesome awesome like i know tecumseh had a comet a comet red cloud has another one it's just that's so cool to be named after a comet i mean anymore i'd be i mean there's nothing cool that happens anymore i mean i'd be named like street light out or something like that you know oh burnt out bulb is definitely the <laughs> right. for you yes 100 percent nailed it in one <laughs> 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 Thank you, everyone. Good night. Have a great night. Uh, uh, Red Cloud's father dies of alcoholism when Red Cloud is rather young. Now, there is another version. This is Red Cloud saying that his father died when he was very young. There is another version where his father actually lives until Red Cloud is in his uh, mid, like late twenties, I'm going with Red Cloud because that was in his autobiography. So Red Cloud in his autobiography said his father passed away when he was a child, when he was very young from alcoholism. Very okay. key distinction. His mother uh, then takes him to be raised by two uncles, Chief Old Smoke and uh, Little Hawk. Oh, White Hawk. I'm sorry, uh, the tribe's military leader. By the time he was four, he is sitting at council fires and watched Old Smoke nearly get usurped by a man named Bull Bear. 
Bull Bear is forced to leave the tribe with his followers. And as he leaves, Old Smoke, again, Red Cloud's uncle, uh, has thrown has dirt thrown in his face and thus becomes the rumored start of the black-faced tribe of the Sioux that Red Cloud is from. The Sioux themselves are nomadic. They don't stick around for longer than one season as they follow the buffalo herd for food. Young Red Cloud would pack up season after season listening to his uncle's talk about Wankantanka, the religion of the Sioux. Between hunts, Red Cloud would play games. Games that would not only meant for play, but were intended to help him as the young men uh, became warriors, including fun games such as dodging clubs and rocks. And just how fun does that sound? If you can dodge a club, you can dodge a rock. That is the best game. I bet none of them ever got injured or seriously hurt. Yeah, they all dodged. Everyone was just a bunch of ninjas. Yep. Take this red cloud, thunk. Ah, oh, what the heck? He, 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 he. I just don't see that as fun. I mean, you get a club really right to the leg. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, my leg. Gotcha. You're it. <laughs> Your leg's broken, but you're it. <laughs> you're like crawling on the ground. No, please. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> uh, they would also play King of the Hill to work on their stealth at night. Uh, the king would be able to keep all the toy weapons to himself. Hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yay, kings. Uh, they would be given play arrows around four years old, and they would take uh, aim at small items from a distance. Uh, American onlookers would marvel as the young man could hit a pencil or something as small as a button from about 30 yards away. And as they would get older, the children would be given much larger arrows. Now, it's not necessarily uh, Red Cloud's episode, but Crazy Horse would do something very similar. Uh instead of actually aiming for buttons, they would actually practice shooting grasshoppers out of the air with their arrows. Jeez. And they actually were able to do it. They were able to do it after time. Apparently it took obviously hours of hours of practice, but they could eventually hit an, a grasshopper with their arrow. That's so that, accurate. That's impressive marksmanship. Tenskwatawa shot himself his eye out with yeah. <laughs> They're sniping grasshoppers out of the air. To be fair, the eye is very small, just probably not at the distance uh, Tenskwatawa hit himself. Right. Unless he did a boomerang effect. Didn't comprehend that. Before the age of 10, he would be given uh, a wild colt to tame. Uh, that's terrifying as a 10 year old, he spent hours attempting to rope to adjust to rope the horse. He is eventually able to submit the animal and soon is able to ride it without even using his arms and actually uses his legs to steer it probably with his arms crossed like a boss. I wonder if that, that was obviously so they could shoot bow and arrows, right? Oh uh, yeah. I think he, yeah, that's just how you could steer, but yeah. It or a fight, I guess. As and you, also there are, they're also riding bareback too. Obviously, there's no saddles, maybe a blanket. Um, so yeah, it was it was handy. It takes a lot of leg strength. If you've ever ridden a horse before, you understand even with a saddle how much leg strength it has to ride bareback and to stay firm. That that takes some turt or uh, that takes some uh, some muscle. Uh, buffalo hunts were also used as competition. They would use decorative arrows. They could and they could figure out who actually had the killing shot. The meat would go to the group, but the hide would go to the shooter that took down the beast. Now, as a teenager, 
uh, Red Cloud goes on his first buffalo hunt and takes shot at the 2,000-pound animal and actually hits it in the shoulder. Somehow, Red Cloud becomes isolated from the group, and now a very angry buffalo starts charging him. He's only about 15 years old, but is able to uh, keep his composure and actually shoot the beast through the head. Dang. And kills it as it's charging him. Oof. If he would have missed, he'd be dead. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. Graduating from buffalo hunts, Red Cloud would be invited to go on raiding parties. Horses were the main prize. Uh, the prize of your horse herd, or the size of your horse herd, was directly related to your wealth. Raiding parties were also a way to show the bravery of any young warriors. It was likely the first time the warriors would engage in combat outside of their tribe and their play clubs as they're hitting each other, breaking their legs. At 16, Red Cloud uh, loses a cousin to a Shawnee raiding party. He begs his mother to let him join the war party in order to take his revenge. The club is already kind of suspecting that Red Cloud's heart may have failed him because he's 16 years old and he hasn't gone on a war party yet. His mother finally relents and lets Red Cloud join. And in what might be the coolest way to enter your battle, an elderly woman sees Red Cloud jumping on his horse and says, uh, all excited, he is coming. And when someone else asks who is coming, she screams, Red Cloud. The 16-year-old then leaves his tribe, his town, to catch up. Under the chance, Red Cloud comes. Red Cloud comes. Red Cloud comes. Ooh, man, that'd be... Ooh. That would be so cool. Like <laughs> He's just riding away with a smirk on his face. Heck <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be so cool. I want people to chant when I leave. Maybe they do. Maybe that's not a good thing. Thank you, God. Thank you, oh. God. <laughs> you don't have to be so honest about it. <laughs> In the next section, we talk about a couple stories that are pretty gruesome. So if you have little kids or are anyway squeamish, go ahead and skip to the 1950 mark. And the story will continue. This section is just kind of brutal. Thanks. After a 10-day march, they approached the Pawnees. They wait until the morning signal. They wait until the morning and signal an attack, and use oak, uh, use bone whistles to signal the attack. War cries wail out. Arrows and musket balls fire through the air. The surprise attack works as a Pawnee discover that they have no horses to ride on to counter the attack. The Pawnee, knowing they are outmatched, can do little but watch as the Sioux come up with their horses, trample men, women, and children from underneath their hooves. At the end, four Pawnee are dead, one at the end of Red Cloud. These, tri these raids are not just about horses, like I said. It is about proving your bravery. These can get brutal. So anytime we mention talking about a raid, it's not a vacation by any means. The next season, scouts see about a dozen crow warriors about 10 miles away from the horse herd. The crows... Unaware that they have been spotted, do not notice as Red Cloud and 50 other braves sneak up towards them. The next morning, the crow wake up to the alarm of Sioux cries, and Red Cloud is riding first. He places three arrows in the back of one crow's head. The ten crow are handled shortly. Red Cloud is celebrated as he is the only warrior to kill the enemy 
while they are still armed. The Sioux were the force in the area. A growing reputation of bravery as, uh, as well as a fiery temper. During one horse raid, Red Cloud kills a boy who was watching the horses. When Red Cloud is pursued by another, by the boy's father, Red Cloud kills him too. When he sees a member of the Ute tribe drowning in a river, Red Cloud initially saves him, only to save the man and then plunge a knife into his head and then scalp him. What? So he say, uh, uh, so another tribe was drowning. He saved him and then slammed a, a knife in his head and scalped him. Uh, his heart and then scalped him, yes. Oh, okay. You said head, so. Sorry. Yeah, I meant heart. Yep. Okay, so he's, oh yeah, I can see that. Like, oh, thank you. Whap! Nope. Yep. Dang, dude, he's brutal. Oh, he. He went from have... not being able, from begging his mom to go to like killing all these dudes. Right. And you got to think, this isn't unique to Red Cloud. Right. This it, happened all the time. This is, uh, this is tribal warfare. <laughs> like, this Gosh. is this is how they fight. What a brutal! That's brutal. What might be the most famous story is that on another raid, one of the Crow warriors is taken alive, and Red Cloud gives him an opportunity. If he cannot make a sound on what is about to happen, which is always the worst sentence to hear in the movie. Yeah, I'll let you live. Just don't make a sound. And then they like pull out like a, a blowtorch. Well, what he pulls out is a knife. He hands it to another warrior who stands behind the men and slowly and meticulously scalps the crow warrior. The crow warrior does not make a sound and is allowed to leave. Oh my God. <laughs> and given a strong warning of who exactly did it, and why they don't want none anymore. The guy didn't make a single sound. Do you know his name? I don't know. Didn't uh, catch I was going to say, name. that dude is a warrior, man. Yeah, that's a tough SOB is what that is. Just one tear just. Yeah, right just. God that dang. Discipline. Right? I'd be like, oh, God. All right, there's. Really, there, there's a couple more rating stories. So if I understand if this isn't everyone's jam, that was probably the most uh, the most brutal that we're going to go into. But on another raid into Crow territory, Red Crowd grows impatient, thinking that they were near a village. He sneaks away with one other man at night and finds a single scout protecting the herd while he is sleeping. Red Cloud mounts his horse and gallops towards the sleeping crow. The man wakes up just in time to see Red Cloud's war club smash him into the skull. Attempting to escape, Red Cloud shoots him in the back and then scalps him. He returns and explains himself as he's in a little bit of trouble as he did go against orders, saying that he would not have done it if he wasn't so sure that he was in no true danger and that the horse herd wasn't so close. Since the horse herd was approximately 250 head, Red Cloud is actually rewarded 50 of them. And since the size of your horse herd is directly related to your wealth, Red Cloud is now suddenly pretty well off. He is come. He is 
like rising through the ranks though of the tribe, huh? Yep. Yeah, uh he he's definitely I don't I don't want to say he's a special circumstance, but he's very very good. <laughs> very brutal. Now we're going to talk about the Sundance. Again, maybe skip ahead two minutes. What makes Red Cloud and the Sioux such determined warriors? They would actually perform something called the Sundance, something that Red Cloud believed would actually make him harder to kill. They would begin by erecting a single pole in the center of their village. They would then choose, those who wanted to participate, would then choose a second or someone else who has already performed the dance to accompany them. They would then just perform a ceremonial dance for literally 24 hours. They would dance to the beat of a drum sung by the women. But why do you need a second? And why did I just give a warning on maybe skipping this ahead? The elder chosen as your second would then pierce both of your pecs and then pierce just above your shoulder blade. They would then shove a wooden skewer through those holes. At the end of those skewers, they would place two loops and attach a rope that connected to the standing pole. They would then do their dance for 24 hours. At the end of the 24 hours, the dance ended in one of two ways. The dancer would either fling himself away from the pole ripping out the skewers or the elder would do it for you and throw you away from the pole. Either way, it's not thrown away from the pole. If that wasn't worse or bad enough, then a ceremonial blade would then be taken out and any excess skin that didn't rip off would be cut off. The skin would be laid next to the pole and then offered to the sun. Yep. Uh, Yep. That's a big nope. (laughs) Why do this? Well, that answer, of course, it depends on the tribe. But according to the Encyclopedia of the Great Plains, quote, in all cases, however, the primary meaning is understood to be performance of the act of sacrifice in ritual reciprocity with the spiritual power so that the welfare of friends, family, and the whole people is enhanced. They did it because it's good for you. I'm so happy the good for me when I was younger was broccoli. Right? It's good for you, boy. Yeah, no. Still a big no for me. Yep, big. Uh, I would not make it as a Sioux warrior. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to say be that. screaming the whole time. And you got to dance for 24 hours. Like, what? Yep, between the childhood, uh, dodging clubs, just getting pelted with rocks. Not fun. Uh, Whitehawk, uh, Red Cloud's uncle and mentor, is also the tribe's military leader. Uh, he dies. Red Cloud is then elected to replace him. One of the f- one of the first winters after his new role, he teams up with the Cheyennes for a hunt. When a woman is found crying, saying that the Cheyennes had molested her, Red Cloud takes seven warriors and rides directly to the camp that molested the woman. The seven warriors go into, again, another tribe's camp 
walk up to the house. Red Cloud enters the lodge alone with a saber. Soon cries from the lodge draw attention from other Cheyennes, and they quickly gather outside. Nobody goes in once they hear Red Cloud is inside and beating a man with the blunt end of the saber. Since nobody doesn't want any, Red Cloud finishes beating the man, and then they peacefully leave. That is control of the audience. So he just walks in, beats the guy that molested the girl, and in then a separate they tribe. Leave. In a separate right. tribe, and leaves. Walks that out, is, looks around, they just leave. That's understood. <laughs> like That just right? happened. Well, I mean, you even said as soon as they found out who was inside, they're all like, nope, mm-mm. Mm, it's happening. The guy deserved it. I don't know what he did. He deserved it. You'll remember at the very beginning, I mentioned a man named Bull Bear who actually tried to usurp Red Claw's father. Well, 20 years have passed, and Bull Bear is leading his band of the Sioux and uh, it actually acquired the taste of whiskey. An accusation that Bull Bear, that a woman, uh, was actually stolen from his camp. Bulbear accused the Sioux of stealing women from his camp. The woman more than likely voluntarily left, but it's not really known. Upon entering the camp, Bulbear, who was likely drunk, sees an accused kidnapper and simply shoots him. A fighting fight breaks out. Red Cloud hears of the gunfire, run towards it, goes immediately to Bulbear, who is in the middle of it, uh, who had actually been shot during the fight. Bulbear is on the ground. Red Cloud runs up to Bull Bear and screams, you are the cause of this, and then fires a single shot into Bull Bear's head. Jeez. Now, a constant pain. Bull Bear has been in the background being a constant pain. Uh, Red Cloud basically just takes him out with a single shot. He has no fear. There is. Because he was a leader of a tribe, too. Uh, he's the war leader, and yes. No, no, Bull Bear. Yes, Bull Bear was the leader of his band of tribe. The Sioux are very, they're such a large tribe because even initially they have like, basically there's seven bands of Sioux and then even those break off. So there's so, that's why you have the Dakota, Nakota, Lakota. uh, And they're just spread out everywhere in the Midwest. So like there's a lot of tribes. So if I do get any of those confused, I'm very sorry. I think I have them tracked down. But again, if you are part of the Sioux Nation, uh, please, please reach out if I've messed anything up. I'm trying to do do my best here. Okay. Red Cloud is now in his early 20s. And of his action in battle, he is now the leader, the warrior chief of the Oglala tribe and of the Western Sioux Nation. So not just his band of the tribe, but other surrounding tribes as well. Red Cloud is becoming, well, a pretty big deal. But you would think making a wife, finding a wife, would be fairly easy. But he has just a little difficulty. It comes down to eventually two women. One named Pretty Owl and one named Pineleaf. Pineleaf and Red Cloud are the love match. But Red Cloud, because his father died as an alcohol as an alcoholic and not in battle, uh, he could really use some political points. Pretty Owl comes from an influential family. Red Cloud will likely is expecting to marry more than one woman in his life, so he takes he chooses Pretty Owl initially. 
but then it comes time to leaving the dowry. Remember, Red Cloud was gifted 50 horses from being the MVP on that horse raid. He's pretty wealthy with horses, and he leaves four horses outside of Pretty Owl's father's teepee and doesn't receive a, fo- a response. Meaning, it was rejected. More. It was rejected. Annoyed, but okay. Red Cloud leaves four more horses. A borderline excessive gift. Like, do you remember when Kobe Bryant cheated on his wife and got his wife yeah, an absorbent entry? Yeah. Yeah. It was like think huge. That. It was a few million dollars, I think. Yeah. Think that type of gift. Again, there is no response. He's not getting happy. Another delivery of four horses. Finally, Pretty Owl's father comes out and accepts Ragclaw's offering and agrees him uh, to allow him to marry his daughter. Twelve horses later, when the two are married, Red Cloud notices Pineleaf again, the one that he loved, was in the back with a clear broken heart. The newlyweds celebrate into the night, and as they come out the next morning, Red Cloud walks out to see the sight of Pineleaf had committed suicide by hanging herself from a tree. <gasps> no! He loved her! Pretty Owl was... was apparently not able to take the thought of Red Cloud marrying someone else and took her life. Pretty Owl uh, would be the only woman Red Cloud would marry in his in all his life. He wouldn't take on another wife. Wow. So the, the gal he married, that's it. One and done. Was it because of that? Yes. Yes, that affected him quite a bit. Newly married, but there can just never be too many raids. Red Cloud sets his eyes on an Arakara camp. When they arrive, they wait until midnight and attempt a raid. They sneak into the village and on foot, they are within an arrow's flight without the horses. But this has been like really easy so far. Like too easy. And just as they think, this might be an an ambush happens. And the Arakara rise up from their rifles and bows and open fire. Red Cloud drops to the gun, drops to the ground, trying to avoid being trampled by panicking horses and against uh, other from war clubs. Red Cloud pulls himself on the ground, dragging his rifle beside him, and through the night is able to belly crawl to the riverbank, where he is fine undetected. He is also able to find a boat and escape. He spends the next four days finding small game to feed on until he finds a friendly Brule tribe who is able to take him home. He is the only survivor, and everyone was excited to see that he was the only one to return. Outside of the tribe, trails pop up around 1820, 1830s. Well, they had actually been there much longer than that, but they really start to expand during this time. Along with Eastern newspapers would describe the plains with descriptions such as wonders and grand and glowing and quote, the fisheries are spoken of as the best in the country. And if the fisheries were only equaled by the rare facilities of its agriculture, basically they're getting people really excited to move West. Essentially, Everything is great. The hunting's great. The fishing's great. The farming's great. You name it, it's the best. For anyone who wants to start life anew, all you had to do was load up your wagons and head west. 
The Sioux, however, who are living on the land, thought the new traffic was less than ideal in the area. In 1850s, America gained territory from Mexico. Gold is found in California around 1850, not in 1850. Gold is found in California, and by 1850, 55,000 travelers searching for gold, as well as Mormons crossing the plains, cross, cross, 5,000 of which die before they even reach the Rocky Mountains because of diseases. Diseases, native tribes have no immunity to. So suddenly there is a huge influx of people coming in the area and kind of scaring away the grain. Immigrants and their long wagon trails would take resources away from Native Americans and their hunting land. The cattle and oxen would eat all the grass. The immigrants still hunted meat for buffalo. And then when it comes to battle, and when it comes to battling for resources, tribes start to tack the wagon trains and hope that the wagon trains will stop coming. The U.S. government wanted to ensure that immigrants could pass through safely in an attempt to gather the afflicted tribes. Uh, they try to gather everyone into a big peace treaty or a peace conference, but only seven of them are actually willing to meet up and talk. The man that they send out to start these peace treaties is a man named Broken Hand Fitzpatrick, a tall Irishman with a thick accent who had earned his name while fighting alongside the Blackfeet tribe, where he, quote, plunged his horse off of a 40-foot cliff and then was able to rise, then breaks his wrist after the rifle misfired, and then, like a boss, is still able to kill multiple enemies and then make his escape. He had basically earned the trust of the Native Americans, part because he was a great fighter and he had lived with them for a while. When he asked tri the seven tribes to go, they did so. It also helped that this practice also promised that the United States had about $100,000 in gifts that they were willing to hand out if the tribes attended. And let me guess, they did not have $100,000 worth of gifts to give them. Oh, 30 seconds, I'll answer that question. Okay. <laughs> Red Cloud uh, is a battle-hardened 30-year-old. He is six feet tall with a slender face and a beaked nose. Living outside leaves a leathery skin in his appearance and age lines that make him look very a lot older. He is the most fated Native American in all of the tribes. You'll notice I said in the tribes because it's not, he's not really known uh, to the American government yet. During the treaty, the U.S. rolls up. Uh, they meet at, they were originally going to meet at uh, Fort Laramie, um, but because the area isn't able to actually meet uh, the needs of like the cattle and all that they actually move it 40 miles over to a horseshoe Creek. So this is the horseshoe treaty of 1851. It's also the Fort Laramie treaty of 1851 is what we're going into here. Uh, the U S rolls up with about 200 soldiers and one cannon. They wait for a few days for all the traps to show up. And then the meeting starts and the first order of business 
was to let them their tribes know that the hundred thousand dollars in gifts were uh lost and not able to be given out now to be fair to be fair it does appear they were actually lost in st louis that part is yeah the mail forgot to the address forgot to put the address and they didn't know where to go it's still in the warehouse i think i'm throwing up air quotes it was lost ladies and gentlemen lost is collectively what the tribe said and i can only imagine fitzpatrick is standing there like hey guys hold on hold on this is only 1851 and you don't know about all the things we're going to lie to you about yet just take our word for on this one well i was like i mean he gained their trust so like why would he want to like lose it by like vouching for them well i think that's what i was thinking it, they were legitimately held up in St. Louis. Like it, it doesn't, again, the United States doesn't want natives attacking settlers. Like they want, then they need this to work out because there's a lot of money at stake of people going to California. Uh, more that more immigrants and more people that establishes over in New York, that's actually in the long run going to be great for the United States. So they do really want this to work. They do really have all of these gifts and they were unfortunately just stuck in St. Louis, but boy, does that put a uh, rain on the parade right at the start? Wonderful, huh? <laughs> it's not a good tone. Fitzpatrick is in, introduced a man named Colonel Mitchell who would actually be carrying on the proceedings. Mitchell says it is true that the immigrants are thinning the herds and the cattle they brought in were actually eating the grass, but we're willing to make that up to you with $50,000 in food supplies, hardwares, domestic animals, uh, for the next 50 years. How does that sound? Does that clear up all of the problems? In exchange, the tribes would allow that the immigrants to pass through undisturbed and that U.S. forts and trading posts also be built. Also, you, you have to agree to territorial boundaries because, quote, civilization is coming, whether you like it or not. So they're not giving them, like, I don't know, just seems shady. Hey, let our guys pass. We'll give you this, 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 and this for 10 years. Oh, but, <laughs> I mean, look at this map. This is what you guys stick to, though, and we will get you these stuff. Honey, I know I cheated on you. And our relationship isn't going well, but look at this nice jewelry I got you and this car, this fixes all of and our problems. All the while, everything they're saying, they have their fingers crossed behind their back. Because I'm guessing they didn't even give them what they promised. Again, it's only 1851. We don't know all the lies yet. <laughs> <laughs> We have a bonus episode that's going to drop the same day that this episode's drop over the Fort Laramie Treaty, where we're going to go into, uh, probably not point by point, but we're going to examine the documents, and that's where we need to probably save some of this outrage. But yes, I'm right there with you. One, yes. And then finally, the last point. So not only all of the things, but the last point. The tribes would have to elect one chief that the government could use to negotiate with. Native leaders probably thought the last two points were simply laughable. Tribes were not going to, uh, tribes were used to going where they want 
where they please without any borders. And then even to elect one person to negotiate with, that's fine, assuming you don't know that the tribes uh, don't really pick chiefs and hold them to terms. You can lose influence as a chief by simply people walking away from you. There is no, this guy is going to be our leader for 10 years. It's this guy's our leader until he's effing crazy. I'm leaving this dude. The tribes counter that the promises that the, the promises made to the Cherokee in Georgia from the trail of tears were broken. And so far that they had laid annuities and they were literally being served rotten food. Look how well it looked out for the Cherokees in Georgia. Why do we want to sign up for that? The $50,000 in promised handouts, the Cherokee rarely got as they were promised. And the natives, well, for that reason, didn't trust the Americans. During the final day, final day of the, quote, negotiation, word is that the gifts were only a day away. <laughs> was only a day away. The final proposal was given out, but now included that the Sioux would be ceding land to the Crows. When one leader named Cutnose spoke, he said he summed up the natives' stance by saying, I would be glad if the whites would pick out a place for themselves and not come into our grounds. But if they must pass through our country, they should give up the game for what they drive off. So in other note, in other words, Cutnose said, I guess you can use the area because you're probably going to be using it anyway. But we need think we need buffalo to hunt. We need to be able to live. I don't care of all the sparkly things you're about to give me. If I can't eat, I can't live. Right. Like he's right. Like you keep like what are we supposed to do? You can give us money and crap, but Yeah, what's it gonna do? You're gonna we'll just die anyways. You're gonna promise us annuities that when we see the tribe uh, the Cherokee they're not getting it. Don't know why that would suddenly change for us. But again, it comes down right. to and like, oh, yeah, you'll give it to us for the next 10 years. But we might not even be around in five. Right. Yeah. So it's like a classic. They're trying to like put a bandaid on cancer kind of thing. It's 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 not figuring out the core issue. So enough of the seven tribes sign that the treaty was, quote, a success. Well, I'm saying quote unquote success, but I can't put more emphasis on those finger quotes on just how successful the treaty was. Just two years into the treaty, the tribes already won out of the agreement that was supposed to supposedly keep peace for all of times. The Americans were supposed to be able to, the emigrants were supposed to be able to peacefully go through. There would be some forts, some trading, and the tribes would leave them alone. The U.S. ignored the tribes wanting to back out of the treaty and put an emphasis on tribal leaders who maybe had a weakness with alcohol uh, and are more willing to take the handouts. The attacks on the U.S. emigrants using the trails again start to pick up. But in the meantime, some tribes are literally starving a constant wagon trains are running off and killing the game. Boy, who saw that ever coming? The tribes start to get desperate. Raids on wagons and trains again become more and more frequent. 
Then on August 18, 1854, Danish immigrants and recent converts to the Mormon church were heading to Utah. They lose track of just one of their cows that was described as, quote, one sore-footed old cow lagging behind, uh, lagging behind. When a brule warrior named High Forehead then shot the cow and invited his hungry friends, and then in a feast or famine way, they ate the cow, as you would when you're starving. Chief Conquering Bear, trying to keep peace and live by the terms of the Fort Laramie 1851 treaty, immediately heads into Laramie, to Fort Laramie, to offer payment. But the Danish immigrant is pissed. He demands $25 when the, when the cow was supposedly worth maybe near the $5 mark. So he demands $25, and Conquery Bear just simply isn't able to pay for it. Unable to come to a conclusion, he has to leave. Lieutenant, well, he doesn't leave. He has to wait for Lieutenant Hugh Fleming, uh, ordered the Sioux to arrest High Forehead and to bring him into the fort. Conquering Bear did not lead the band that High Forehead was from the tribe he was from, and therefore refused to turn High Forehead over. The next day, Second Lieutenant George Lawrence Groton led an armed detachment of 30 men and artillery to take uh, to take to an Indian encampment to take custody of High Forehead and to bring him back to the fort. Grattan is an inexperienced and doesn't view the few, the Sioux favorably. This is what the first encounter, this will be his first encounter with the Sioux and a peer later recalled, quote, there is no doubt that Lieutenant Grattan left his post, post with the desire to have a fight with the Indians and that he had determined to take the man at all hazards over a single cow. They are sending out armed men. One cow. One cow. After they took so much. Yes, because people were hungry and starving. By the time the detachment reached the encampment, the translator selected was not particularly liked by the Sioux. And even worse, he only spoke broken Dakota. He found some liquid encouragement and began drinking it along the way. So now you have a drunk, broken language translator, not all respected by the tribe you're about to talk to. But don't worry. Groton angrily came over to the man, broke the bottle, and scolded him. But you will notice that scolding, sure as hell, isn't replacing the translator. As they enter the encampment, the translator drunkenly begins to taunt the Sioux, starts calling their warriors women, and then starts saying that the, that the soldiers were not here to talk, but to kill them all. Good translator. Oh, so well. <laughs> right? Wonderful translator. I wonder what would happen if I said this. I'm going to do it. Do you dare me? Do you double dog? Hey, what's the dumbest thing I could possibly say as we're heading into a, a village? Yeah, that all sounds good. Hey, do you think I'll do this? Do you dare me? Oh, God. Red Cloud is present in the village and just starts gathering his men. Just in case. So while all of this is going around, Red Cloud is probably nodding to men in the background saying, yeah, um, be ready. Groton goes to Conquering Bear saying that the Sioux should turn over the thief. Conquering Bear again refused, saying that he had no power to turn over the man, let alone from a different tribe. 
he tries to negotiate and even offers a horse as compensation for the cow. A witness named Bordeaux reportedly said that the interpreter, uh, the drunk translator who had taunted the Sioux, had, quote, his true lack of knowledge of the language confusing both Conquering Bear and Groton. So not only <laughs> this translator, <laughs> you couldn't have picked a worse guy. When your sole job is to just translate words into words people can understand and you can't even do that and you're just egging people on. Idiot. You think he really didn't know and he just decided to like be along? I got it. I got it. Yeah, oh, yeah, sure, I, got sure. it. I read a book once. I did this. This is easy. I've seen it. I've seen it done many a times. If your surgeon said that he had walked out, he had watched House, the entire series of House, that's what I feel this translator is. <laughs> a new translator was called for just now. Don't know where the red flags had to stop, but now we need a new translator. A new translator is called for, but as he reaches his post, he reads the, the room and sees a bunch of angry faces and weapons and just says, nope, definitely not staying around here. And he turns back to his trading post, telling others to gear up for a fight that is most assuredly coming at this point. As Groton pressed for Conquering Bear, numerous Sioux warriors moved into flanking positions around the soldiers. Groton began walking back to his column when a gun went off and a Sioux man dropped. The warriors started then shooting arrows, and while the leaders tried to regain control, Conquering Bear himself is mortally wounded. The Sioux warriors quickly kill Groton and 11 of his men outright, and then the interpreter, because he deserved a doubt of anyone. The Sioux warriors, uh, a group of some 18 soldiers, retreat on foot trying to reach uh, some rocks for defense, but they are cut off and killed by warriors led by Red Cloud. Everyone in Groton's party is killed. Two days later, and after not hearing back from Groton, and after the tribes have left, a detachment from Fort Laramie heads to Groton's last known whereabouts. They find the soldiers had been ritually mutilated. Groton's body was only able to be identified from his watch. I know him. I know that watch. Uh, the troops who had were at the site were given a shallow mass grave, uh, and this becomes known as the Groton Massacre, and it is viewed by some historians uh, as the first battle of what would become 20 years of known as the Indian Wars. How important is it to take the right people when you're going on anything? Well, why would you take so much people to go and arrest this one guy over a cow in the first place? Well, especially if, like, one of his problems, he he only took 30. He's going into a village. He's going to be outnumbered. But Groton wanted a fight. So let, like, let's not shade around that. He, I think he even said, oh, no, I'm thinking of someone else later. I think he thought, like all the other commanders thought, that he could just run through them with minimal men. And because he's right. he's big and tough, that they wouldn't fight back. That he feels like they're he's what superior or something yeah. that he can take on anyone he wants because bravado and all of that good stuff. And the Sioux fought back. Yeah, and he paid the price in the end. Yes, he did. The next couple of years are filled with tensions and revenge attacks between the Americans 
and the immigrants or and the and the Native Americans. The United States is starting to have its focus elsewhere as we're on the buildup to the Civil War. So the planes are kind of on the back burner. But then in 1858, gold is discovered in Colorado, which is actually in the immediate aftermath of the Groton Massacre. So when tensions couldn't be higher, gold is found. A man named Thomas Twist takes out, runs out a revenge party, and he issues an order for any Native Americans north of the Platte River that they would be treated as hostile for simply existing. And also, by, I should probably preface that with, if you go with the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1851, they did set territorial boundaries. That's why he chose that position. Now only seven of the tribes agreed to it. There's some flaws there. The order was designed to allow him to take revenge, admitting that he was looking for the first tribe on the wrong side of the river. He takes his revenge at a place called Ash, Tree, Ash Creek, using the same mutilations on the natives that they used on Groton and his soldiers. They massacre everyone in the village. Red Cloud, miles away, is elevated to the chieftain class as the violence escalates and he receives a visitor to tell him that the Western Sioux tribe will meet for the first time in a ground council, really for the first time in memory. So the Sioux, again, they're made up of seven bands. Uh, they rarely ever meet. And the, when they do meet, it is kind of like the super friends unite type moment. It has gotten Justice League getting together. Yes. They all have to combine because this is a real threat. During a council, Red Cloud, uh, now that's uh, a couple couple years off, but now they're, they're all starting to unify, which if you remember from Tecumseh's episode, his main problem was that he couldn't find a unify, he couldn't unify the tribes together. Right. So for the tribes to, co to come to that determination themselves is kind of rare. Now, not all the Sioux are going to join because, again, we've gone into that, but they know that this is a, a real threat. During a council, Red Cloud knew a united Sioux was the only way to beat the Bluecoats. The Bluecoats being the U.S. Army, their blue, mil their blue uh, uniforms. Battles on equal footing would end in disaster for the natives, as they always have. They had to attack smaller numbers and with an overwhelming force. And it was a good time, as the U.S. again is about to go into a civil war. So I think we kind of saw again in Tecumseh's episode that they're, they're going to ambush and they're going to pull back. They're not going to do an open battle because that's when th that's the advantage to the Americans and their more organized training. During that council and when he was elevated to the chieftain status, he is now the most powerful war chief of the Sioux of this time. He cannot outright command tribes, but he does have significant influence on the actions. Red Cloud thought that this was a good time to strike, and he comes up with battle plans. Red Cloud then takes responsibilities to defend his territory, emigrant or native. 
when Shoshone's tracker trackers were found, Red Cloud tracked them down himself and leads a small war party of his men and pins down the Shoshone warriors. Having cornered one Shoshone behind the rock, Red Cloud used a warrior to run towards an adjacent rock. Once the Shoshone showed himself and perked up to shoot, Red Cloud himself shot him dead before he could take the shot. He ran up to the man whooping, hacking off the man's arm. Excitedly, the Braves went to Red Cloud to celebrate, which left a gap for the remaining Shoshone to escape. Furious, there was nothing he could do. The war party paraded for three days to show the area that this area was now Sioux. They eventually did track down the warriors, but yeah, that was just kind of a guys. Yes, this is exciting. Look at what you did. Look what happened. They, so they tracked them and took care of them. They tracked them down and they sure did. Uh, Red cloud. I think we've already seen red cloud is um, good at tracking people. He's determined also ruthless. Now we're going to go a little bit outside of what's going on with Red Cloud because in 1862, there's the Dakota War. Now this is extremely abridged because we're going to go into its own episode of the the Dakota War in 1862. But basically a cousin tribe of the Westerns who rise up when traders in Dakota Territory or modern day Minnesota uh, demand that annuity payments be given directly to them by their agents. The traders refuse and to provide any more supplies under credit under the conditions. Things get so bad and the tribes are starving. The commander or the person in charge of the area may have used the term, quote, so far as I am concerned, if they are hungry, let them eat grass. Jeez. You didn't care, huh? You'll be surprised to know that the Sioux rebel. And it shockingly ends with the largest mass hanging in United States history when 38 Sioux warriors are hung. So that's happening around this time, too. And now, in 1861, John Bozeman discovered a trail across the Great Plains to the gold mines now in Montana. Another trail to deal with. Yippee. Just keeps getting better and better. Now, Bozeman discovered it for the Americans. The tribes have been using the same trail for like hundreds of years. So it's only new to America. But uh, the trail began at Fort Laramie in Wyoming and headed northeast across the Bighorn Mountains in Montana and in Wyoming. The trail ties up most around the Yellowstone River and is followed to the river to the gold mines, uh, like I said. The natives, believing that the gold miners were not just about to be passing through, but they actually intended to stay because, well, when you're mining something, you're probably going to stay there for a while. You're not exactly passing through anymore. This is kind of becoming, you're kind of breaking the treaty that we just signed. Again, nobody is staying. And then the Homestead Act of 1862 was passed. 
the, 18, the Homestead Act is basically anyone who wanted land west would be given 160 acres, if I remember. I don't have that in front of me. It's either 160 acres or 320 acres. I can't remember off the top of my head. But basically, free land or cheap land out west. Go and get yourself some. Doesn't matter who lives on it. It's yours. It's yours. From 1864 to 1866, the trail had its greatest number of travelers. During that height, at least 3,500 settlers, miners, and other travelers followed the Bozeman Trail west into Montana, leading directly crossing over Lakota land. Bozeman, to his credit, did actually ask permission from the Sioux. But when he told his answer was, no, you cannot use the trail, he did so anyway. Okay, wink, wink. Oh, it wasn't even okay, wink, wink. It was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, so whatever. The U.S., under uh, under pressure, sends soldiers to protect its immigrants. A French-Canadian fur trader meets with Red Cloud uh, named Sam Dean. Sam Dean is one of the few men who actually understands how big of a deal Red Cloud is. As of to this point, the U.S. government did not have a report even mentioning Red Cloud as a leader. Red Cloud, who is now in his early 40s, attempts to enter the camp, and Red Cloud tells stories in this meeting with Sam Dean. When I was younger, he was sent out to investigate a campfire smoke. He finds several hundred trespassing Omaha men dancing the buffalo dance. The Sioux War Party charged at the Omaha, who then scattered, calling off the attack. Red Cloud goes to the center of the campsite, and then when the Omaha start firing arrows at the Sioux, the man next to him is hit, and instead of attacking the Omaha, Red Cloud helps the man to his side and takes him to safety. Meaning, we the Sioux will help out our friends in need. He was then asked to give the Sioux origin story, and asked and called about the lost children, telling of battles long ago when the Eastern Sioux, how they had fought with each other. The tribes eventually abandoned each other, but learned to survive alone and far apart. Even though both sides were angry enough at each other from their elders for losing them, an agreement was made that when they call for help, other Sioux would come to their help. Six days later, the 38 Eastern Sioux warriors were hung in Minnesota. So all Red Cloud is doing by telling these stories of, we may be far apart now, but we will come together and then you will have a problem. Now we have to take a sharp abridgment because as you can tell, there's a lot going on in this particular time period. Not only the Civil War and with Red Cloud and with everyone, uh, we're going to take a sharp abridgment to do these subjects justice. We will cover them, but in other episodes. But what we need to know right now is what we've already sensed. The Great Plains are fighting. Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, all of them are there and they're starting to get involved. And including the major event of the Sancrete Massacre happens in this time as well. Again, we're going to cover them. I just want to do them justice outside and there's already so much in Red Cloud's episode. In the fall of 1865, another council is called for the debate on what to do with the intruding Americans, and Red Cloud gives a speech. Red Cloud 
stands up and says, quote, the great spirit raised both the white men and the Indians. I think he raised the Indian first. He raised me in his land and it belongs to me. The white man was raised over the great waters and his land is over there. Since they have crossed the sea, I have given them room. There are now white men, white people all around me. They have a small spot of land left. The great spirit told me to keep it. The speech, this was supposed to go on for several days. No other speech was needed. The natives, whose number was likely 2,000, but some dispute the number may have been as large as 13,000, agree to start attacking the next winter season, or after the winter season. War is coming again. If you'll notice the date, in the fall of 1865, the Civil War ended in April. In April 1866, dog soldiers burn a wire relay that leads into Fort Laramie, killing five men and leaving the mutilated corpses staked to trees. They're even able to evade the cavalry units that send out after the attack. They then attack trains, train whales, and outposts whenever they please. Basically, a bunch of simultaneous attacks happen all around the area in April 1866. One outpost claimed that there were no natives within 25 miles, only then to see 30 Sioux Braves on full gallop stampede the gates and leave. The entire fighting season is a disaster for the United States. Not only are the Sioux attacking at will, but they're unable to be tracked down afterward. These are constant attacks throughout the entire year. Not that the commander in want let those in Washington know about it. A man named Carrington writes back and says, stating all of their success they were having and that they really had a strong footing in the Powder River country and that all they needed was more time, they needed more money, and they needed more resources, which I'm pretty sure is a phrase that has been used in every military matter ever. The fighting is so successful, according to Carrington, he wants to send out to negotiate a treaty to stop all the success that the United States is having. The next spring, a meeting is called. Carrington's negotiation success, depending on getting access to the Powder River country and to allow the Bozeman Trail be used by the immigrants. It's all about using the trails. That is the core issue between the Sioux and the Americans. Negotiations had to be successful because Carrington and the United States had already sent soldiers riding north to build the forts, something the Native Americans had seen. Carrington, during the negotiation, then takes the it-wasn't-me approach. But then we saw you on the trails. It wasn't me. But then we saw you building forts. It wasn't me. Not as catchy as Saggy, but I stand behind that one. At least no one was buck naked. You don't know that. You don't know how they were building those forts. It gets pretty hot in the summer in the Midwest. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know. But it wasn't me. It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) 
How could I forget that I had given a relationship? That was like the jam back in our day. Yeah, it was. What do you mean back in our day? It's still my day. How dare you? Yeah, but now it's all this goofy stuff. Yeah. The world isn't a great place right now. Mm. When Carrington calls his meeting, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, and Spotted Tail are all there. This is a major meeting. Sensing the tension in the rooms, Carrington lets the native air their grievances first. And in quote, many hours later, after hearing the testimony, the main complaints came down to this. The natives were forced to stay in smaller and smaller pockets. The trails drove off the buffalo herd away and stripped the land of grass for their own for their own horses. The trails are causing havoc for grazing. We also see you building ho- building forts on the Bozeman Trail. And a man named Young Man Afraid of His Horses, quote, in two moons, the command would not have a hoof left if the army continued in the Powder River country. Get out now. Then Red Cloud rose to spoke. The Great Father, or the President, sends us presents and wants a new road. But the White Chief already goes with his soldiers to steal the road before the Indians say yes or no. I will talk to you no more. I will go now, and I will fight you. As long as I live, I will fight you for the last hunting ground. Cheering drowned out Carrington's comments, but then Red Cloud, with a knife in his hand, walks closer to Carrington. He gets closer to Carrington and just walks past him as if he was invisible. The meeting is over, and for Red Cloud and his followers, in an official report filed to Washington, Carrington described it as, quote, A satisfactory treaty concluded with the Sioux. Most cordial feelings prevail. The feelings between Red Cloud and Carrington are less than cordial. No, everything's fine. We're good over here. Don't you worry about it. Don't listen to what you're hearing. Everything is fine. P.S. Send more guns. So many more guns. Guns, 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 guns. Guns, 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 guns. Please, 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 please. Oh, God, please. But everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then you see, like, the wet mark on the page where the tear was. (laughs) Right. Shaky handwriting. (laughs) Must have been really cold when he was writing this letter. (laughs) Seemed like he was in high spirits. No, it's all politics. Yeah. (laughs) Look at you and your callback to the Alamo. In the weeks to come, Carrington stopped listening to his scout, who is Jim Bridger, who will also get his own episode. Bridger tells him that maybe he should stop handing out gifts to the natives coming into the camp because they are Red Cloud scouts and they're likely looking for weaknesses. Also, maybe we should do something about the constant natives in the tree line watching us every moment of the day. Just a thought. A chief named Black Horse tells Carrington and essentially just repeats what Bridger has been telling him is true. Carrington is surprised to know that Red Cloud's plan was and was indeed gathering information. Jim Bridger, probably in the background, like, dude, 
Yeah? What have I been telling you for a couple of weeks? Carrington has had more than enough war- more than enough warning that Red Cloud is planning. When Black Horse leaves, the man that just told Carrington leaves, Red Cloud catches up to him, uh, trying to flee to Cheyenne. Black Horse gives up all the motives, all the motions of Carrington and his troops. Again, Carrington, why are you discussing your battle plans with anyone outside of your war room? Don't cruelly understand it. Red Cloud then plans an attack the next morning. Around 5 a.m., warriors belly crawl and take up over 150 animals before they are discovered. The men start running after the natives in order to get their livestock back. Four men run out. One is instantly killed by a musket ball. One is shot with an arrow. And two bodies are later discovered with their genitals in their mouth. Oh, geez. <laughs> it took me by surprise. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> You're like, oh, one was shot. And I was like, okay, that happens quite a bit. One was shot with an arrow. Okay, okay, yeah, I can see the fighting. And two were, <laughs> two were fine with their... <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's not funny. It's terrible, but I just did not see it coming. It's an obvious ambush, though. Like, I can't understand. Like, yep, they, they're taking the horses. I don't want to say that I am I would ever be brilliant or calm in the command, but if they took the horses, well, I guess they just took them. I'm not going to go chasing because there's obviously an ambush coming. Ridiculous. <laughs> when hearing this and maybe feeling just a little bit exposed, Carrington starts building life as life literally depended on it, and he builds a place called Fort Phil Kearney. Also writing that he really needs more reinforcements and more weapons, please, because the success is overwhelming right now. I need more men and weapons. For the love of God, everything's fine. I just want friends to come with ammo, rifles, plenty of ammo. Yeah, please. Now? Now would be great, but as everything's it's so successful. In the days to come, Red Cloud attacked anyone who was dumb enough to be on the outside of the walls, ambushing the military with four simultaneous assaults, one of which the soldiers voted to kill themselves rather than being risked by being captured by the natives. Red Cloud then plans and executes an attack every four days from July 29th until September 22nd. They are attacking at their pleasure. The U.S. Army is disheartened to learn that Red Cloud is still going to keep planning his attacks. By the end of the season, Carrington was involved and his men were involved with over 50 incidents of being attacked by Red Cloud's men. But Red Cloud has one final battle. They plan is to be, uh, was to be executed on December 21st, 1866, a day that is well below zero. I don't know what that, and that's Fahrenheit. I don't know. I haven't looked what that is in Celsius, but somebody will do that conversion, but it's real cold outside. Red Cloud and his men will wait outside Fort Phil Kearney 
and they're basically going to wait for the men to open the gates for the wagon that's going to gather firewood to gather firewood. Once the gates are opened, they would then lure the train farther and farther away from the camp. They would then attack the wagon train to bring more men out of for- out of the fort. The goal wasn't the wagon train itself, but to bring the relief party farther and farther away from the troops or farther and farther away from the fort. They would then antagonize the men and they would even follow, hoping that the men would follow, not realizing that they were about to run into an ambush. Crazy Horse is actually chosen to be the lead decoy trying to keep the men moving. At about 10 a.m., the wagon train leaves the fort and an hour later reports back to the fort is that the wagon train has been attacked. Carrington handed off relief detail detail to Captain William J. Fetterman. So Carrington isn't going to go out himself. But Fetterman is a man who claimed that he could run through the entire Sioux Nation with less than 100 men. Little did he know that there were about 2,000 Sioux, Cheyenne, and Arapaho warriors who were rallied to take Fetterman for his word just outside the camp. Carrington's only orders was not to pursue after the ridge line. You can go up to the ridge, but don't go over it because we don't know what's down there. Fetterman, are you listening? Are you listening? I don't think you're listening because apparently he had to tell Fetterman three times. Fetterman and his men take the bait. Crazy Horse, again, is leading the decoy, and his men get so close that they actually draw cannon fire. They then taunt the men, making them think that they were only, making them think that they were the only party, the only party, uh, and they were very vulnerable to be attacked. Fetterman just can't help himself, and he gets to that ridgeline. And he just wants to take a peek. I mean, just just a small, tiny peek. Yeah. Yeah, we can can do that. Fetterman is met up by the cavalry, heads to the peak. Once at the top, they see a handful of warriors probably sticking out their tongues and pretending to have lame horses. They also keep falling down, quote unquote, because it's icy. They're about four miles from the fort, but Fetterman's thinking, oh, this is just too easy. They can't even stand. And he orders a charge. Once they reach the bottom of the hill, 2,000 native warriors spring their trap and attack. Fetterman and his men have to dismount and form a skirmishing line and try to fight off the warriors as they head back up the ridge that they were definitely not supposed to go down. Do you think he was like, oops? Oh, I've done a whoopsie. This is a real oh, it's just so whoopsie. funny. Like, it's just so funny. They were like, this is easy. Well, yeah, it's a little too easy, don't you think? Like, what were you thinking? They had been attacked all summer with surprise attacks. Why did they think that this wasn't going to be a surprise attack? The true answer is pride. But it's so obvious. So anyway, 
He's down that ridge and trying to go back up it as fast as he can. However, an estimated 40,000 arrows later, again, that number is 40,000 arrows, Fetterman is found near his men at the top of a slope that they used to cover, uh, that they used for cover. Before the final assault, Fetterman was found lying with powder burns next to his head, assuming that they had shot themselves before the Sioux could actually kill them. Now there is debate. There is also uh, knife marks across his throat. Um, Native histories see that they actually knocked him off of his horse with a war club and then finished him off with a knife. Uh, There's debate there. I don't know which one to believe, but just know uh, he got, he was killed real good. At the end of the fight, 96 soldiers and 58 civilians are killed. Bodies are mutilated, and they're just left out in the open. The Fetterman fight, or as the papers called it back then, the Fetterman massacre, will be the largest military loss to Native Americans until George Armstrong Custer. And it is a really close story to Custer's as well. Like, eerily similar. The Indian Peace Commission is organized in Washington with the intention of negotiating. And when they initially come, Red Cloud refuses to come down, saying, quote, We are on the mountains looking down on the soldiers in the fort. When we see the soldiers are moving away and the fort's abandoned, I will come down and talk. It's pretty self-explanatory. I'm going to make you do what you're going to promise first, and then we can talk about what happens after. Nothing until then. The next year, Washington officials ordered three forts guarding the Bozeman Trail to be abandoned. And in August 1868, the last soldiers leave Fort Phil Kearney and Fort C.S. Smith, and the Indians had burned both of them to the ground. Before the forts are burned down and abandoned, the U.S. does call for negotiations to start on April 19, 1868. They even bring out old war hero, William Tecumseh Sherman, who said, quote, how shall a peace be so easily and so soon made simply by retracting our wrong steps and by doing right? Sherman then went on to say, and it's one of those, I can't believe he said this out loud, quote, you see white men have plenty to eat. They have fine houses and fine clothes. You can have the same. We believe the time has come when you should begin to own these things. We shall give you assistance and you shall, and you can own herds and cattle of horses and cattle. You can have cornfields. Everything he said (laughs) was the exact opposite of what the tribes really want in their, in their lives. And again, doesn't hit the, the core motion of leave us alone. Stop using the trails. You'll notice that we had two episodes dropped today. One is specifically going on the Fort Laramie treaty. So we're just going to do in brief, uh, the tribes expectation was the trails were to be closed. The forts to be abandoned and they want to trade with the Americans. So they want to keep the trade open. Yes, we want like to trade. Like they're not them. against they're not against trading with them. They just yes. want them out of there. 
we want your good stuff, but that's it. Stop using the trails, and that's it. The Americans hear that and go, so you want to farm, do you? Wonderful. The tribes shake their head no. We just want the trails to close. Abandon the forts, and we will trade with you. And the counterpoint is, we are so happy you want to farm. I would love for you to come farmland. Let us show you. <sighs> During the negotiation, Red Cloud doesn't actually come. Because remember, he's in the mountains watching to make sure that the forts are going to be abandoned. Then he's going to come. So he's hearing this secondhand word of mouth kind of thing. We're still in April. The forts aren't going to be abandoned until basically the uh, summer or the fall. But the negotiations start in April. The deal that ends up being the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868 gave the Sioux most of the Dakota Territory west of the Mississippi River, hunting rights to be given to the land of the Little Bighorn Mountains and north of the Platte River. Soldiers, North settlers, would never be allowed on Sioux land. Now, in parentheses, and what might not have been known to the natives, or what wasn't known to the natives, was any land that isn't native land is now American land. Right, now belongs to the Americans. And you can't go on that either. This is the setting up of the reservation system in Dakota Territory. So basically they said, we'll give you this little piece of land, but we're taking everything else. Essentially. Like, we're going to give you a lot of what you want, but you have to now stay on this small, you have to stay on this bordered land. And we'll get into that in the language when we talk about the treaty. As I said before, Red Cloud does not come down for the meeting, nor allow anyone to read the peace treaty to him when he does come down, saying, quote, I have learned from others all I care to know about that, which is a massive error in judgment. Red Cloud's expectation was that the Americans would abandon the forts again, close the Bozeman Trail. The negotiation of the treaty, when the Americans were going to put them on the reservation system, Red Cloud simply wasn't aware of that. Red Cloud signs the treaty and agrees to never attack the soldiers again. Jeez. Uh, so basically he signed the contract without reading it. He just heard through the grapevine and said, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I know yeah. what it is. I don't need to read it. Exactly. And we'll go into the language of it. It's not the most clear language, especially if you have to use a translator. If it's not your language, it's confusing for me to read, let alone if I spoke a different language completely. Well, it's a good thing that one translator is not around. (laughs) The treaty wouldn't have been signed, so that probably would have been a bonus. Right. It wasn't until 1870 when Red Cloud visits President Grant, that interior that the Interior Secretary went over the treaty point by point with Red Cloud, when Red Cloud shouted, this is the first time I have heard of such a treaty. I have never heard of it, nor do I mean to follow it. The next day, the Secretary uh, named Cox 
allowed the chief and his people to stay on their own hunting land. So he basically gave them a small concession of, okay, you can go a little bit farther off of your reservation. For now, a treaty that Red Cloud brought the United States to the negotiating table that was a clear win for the Lakota, for the Sioux. Because let's be honest, the Americans were getting their ass kicked. The Americans wanted the peace treaty. They wanted the talks. They wanted the fighting to end. They turned that into a win in the long haul. Red Cloud does get the distinction of being the only, like really the only native leader to force the United States to negotiate and win a battle or win a war. But But the negotiating was in the Americans' favor. Yes. So they basically tricked them. Yep. Yes, they did. Red Cloud would write as an old man, we want to keep the peace. In 1868, men came out and brought papers. We could not read them, and they did not tell us truly what was in them. We thought the treaty was to remove the forts and for us to cease from fighting. When I went to Washington, the great father explained to me that the interpreters had deceived me, and all I want is just and right. All the promises made in that treaty have never been fulfilled. The object of the whites is to crush the native down to nothing. We were told that they wished to merely pass through our country and to seek gold in the far west. Yet before the ashes of the council were cold, the great father is building his forts among us. The presence is an insult to the spirit of our ancestors. And are we to give up our sacred graves to be planted for corn? For two years after the treaty, the Lakota do not go on the reservation. However, when food becomes scarce and as a strategy of dependency from the United States, the factory system essentially takes a hold on the natives, they do eventually move on to the reservation. The Fort Laramie Treaty really lasted until gold was found in the Black Hills. Red Cloud and his men and his tribe will be moved four times by the end of the decade. So by 1880, essentially, the treaty was less than 12 years old and they had to move them 12 times. In 1874, when gold is four times. Yes. Sorry. Four times. You're right. In 1874, the gold is discovered in the Black Hills of Dakota Territory. The Black Hills for the Sioux are sacred and the Sioux are more than a little annoyed when the U.S. comes up and offers to buy the territory for six million dollars. Now, again, this is a bridge we're going to go into in June is the anniversary of Little Bighorn, and we're going to go over uh, Crazy Horse, Custer, and Sitting Bull. So we're going to go into this a lot more in detail. But as far as Red Cloud is concerned, uh, when they offer the $6 million million to buy the treaty or to buy the Black Hills, Red Cloud and the Chiefs offer, and in fact – that $6 million was put into a trust that to this day has still never been claimed. Should the tri- should the Sioux tribe claim it, it would be worth over $1.3 billion. Why haven't they claimed it? Because it's essentially selling the Black Hills. Oh, uh, right. Yep. They will never take that money. But it's in a trust? It's in a trust. 
just sitting there. Dang. Because also, we're going to go into it in a second. The government then went, okay, if we can't buy the land, then you all need to be on your reservations no later than January 31st, 1876. If you're not going to play a game with us, we're going to force you onto the land. We're going to force you to go onto the reservations. Anyone who is not will be considered hostile. Now think of that for a minute. They're making this in this uh, in the fall of 1875. So a little about a couple months before. So basically give them like three, four, maybe five months to. Yes. Now, many Sioux did not even realize they had to move. And if by the time you did find out, let's just say it was December. Well, yeah, I was just going to say in the winter, it's a little hard to get up, pack up and go. Exactly. It's hard to drive in South Dakota in January, let alone in the 1870s, let alone on foot. Like, are you kidding me? You're just asking for more fighting. But that's for Sitting Bull and Crazy Horses episode. Again, huge abridgment here. Sorry for repeating that a lot. I do feel bad I have to skip this because it is basically one long story. But the Sioux eventually do lose the War of the Great Plains. Red Cloud spends his time the rest of his life on the reservation. His reputation is crushed after the Fort Laramie Treaty because now he's in this. He's an older man. He just has to basically try to keep his people together. And I think the treaty just breaks him mentally. He had spent his entire life fighting. And after the reservation treaty, it he just gives up the will to fight. So now it's... Well, he was... He thought one thing and then another thing happened, you know, so like imagine like he he was probably reassuring his people like, hey, yep, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And then boom, it didn't happen. And then he found out it was a complete lie. Great. And it it was kind of not that he I'm not going to say it was him to blame, but he really should have had someone read that treaty to him. And somebody like really should have been side by side if that person existed and was willing to tell him that. I don't know if that existed, but it is kind of his fault that they are on that treaty. Now, you still have plenty of Sioux outside the reservations. Again, um, it really causes a divide in the tribes between treaty Sioux and non-treaty Sioux. And Red Cloud is, by default, the leader of the treaty Sioux. And therefore, anyone outside just despise him. Well, his name was on it, right? His name was on it. Yep. His mark was on it. I wonder why they were winning. They had everything. They could have just kept fighting. I mean, eventually the Americans would have. I mean, the Americans taken over the Civil War. Oh, yeah. The Civil War just got over. The scale was much larger. Like it was probably a matter of time. But the U.S. did show up to the negotiating table first. Like they wanted it to end first. So it is a win for Red Cloud and the Sioux. It just, it's really hard to celebrate that victory when you get a gut punch of, yeah, they just kind of took away our cultural life by having us go on this reservation. Like it, I think it would break most people. 
after what should be your biggest triumph is now. People still stuck by him, though. Uh, a lot did leave, because remember, in the suit, you can just walk away from later. But yes. How, were the, how was the reservation system, you'll ask? About as depressing as you would uh, imagine. Red Cloud would say, as an old man, quote, Most of the reservation land is poor and worthless. Think of it. I used to own rich soil and was well-watered country so big that I could ride through it in a week on my fastest pony. I have to go five miles for wood for my fire. Washington took our lands and promised to feed and support us. Now I, who used to control 5,000 warriors, must beg Washington for when I am hungry. I must beg for what I own. And if I beg hard, they put me in the guardhouse. Worse land to farm, small buffalo herds, natives are forced to depend on the U.S. for, new, for needs. End quote. Red Cloud would watch as his Sioux men become more dependent on the United States and then become more desperate. Around the 1890s, a new religious movement comes up that freaks the American out. It is called the Ghost Dance, and the Ghost Dance is intended to bring the dead back alive to bring a new form of peace and prosperity back to Native Americans. The U.S. feared that it was actually going to instigate resurrection. Red Cloud tries to condemn the dance and tries to stop it. But he, fear, and he, he fears that it'll lead to violence, and indeed it does, that in December 1890, Sitting Bull is killed, and two weeks later, the Wounded Knee Massacre happens. During the later stages of his life, he converts, Red Cloud converts to Christianity and even goes by the name of John around the turn of the century. He goes blind and has to rely on his wife, Pretty Owl, to help him around. He stays on the Pine Ridge Reservation until his death on December 10th, 1809. Did they have any kids? I believe so, yes. So on that depressing note, we get to raid him. Right. It's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Very. It's kind of a, for me, it's kind of two stories. The first story, like half of his life or maybe a little less. Well, obviously less, but like the growing up, it was all like, you know, raid parties. We're going to like, I'm going to work my, like, you know, work my way up, prove myself this, that, the other, you know, and then second half was all about like um, the Americans swooping in and doing their thing. And then you basically get shoveled into a little hovel and said, there you go. That's yours. Have a good day. See you never. Yep. It surprised me that he took uh, Christianity and changed his name to John. Well, went by John. Right. Now, I don't know how strong his Christian views were. Um, but I think by that, I mean, he was born in 18. Oh, God, I think it was like 1822. He lives to be nearly 90, if not over 90. So, like, at the point, it was probably just easier to stop fighting, to be honest with you. 
1822 right. he was born. Uh, I, that had to be just absolutely horrible. <laughs> like just, can you imagine the guilt? Mm-mm. I wonder if he did blame himself. Oh yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, yes, the Americans were the one to blame, but like, how do you not blame right. yourself? Right. So. But let's get into it. Are you satisfied? This is our biography round. We're going to hand out points from negative 10 to positive 10, depending on how satisfied we are with the story. And as we're just talking about, it really is the difference between two halves. I, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to say six. I think that once um, everything started happening, um, as far as like, uh, once they started immigrating to the West, like, I feel like he became a really small part in like a huge conflict that started, right? Because he was just one tribe, right? I mean, he was, you know, very in it, but I feel that he... He was a big deal in the time. Like, right. Um, he was a very large player on probably a smaller scale, like version of the civil war. That's really weird how that came out of my mouth, but in the grand scheme of things, like compared to the civil war, it seems small in comparison, but if you were in the plains, you were horrified of the Sioux and of red cloud. Like he brought the Americans to the negotiating table. If we stop at the end of the Fetterman fight, that is a huge victory. Like right. that's all good. We even, he did something to couldn't, and that was bring them to the negotiating right. table. And, you know, a lot of them did band together. I mean, not all of them, but. Right. It was. They knew they needed, they knew they needed to do that in order to have some sort of chance. Right. Yeah, it's just a gut punch. Like the last 15 minutes of the episode are just a gut punch. It's like this half mixture of like guilt and <sighs> thinking of five. If you take off the last five minutes, it's pro it scores higher or the last 15 minutes, it scores higher, but it just it really takes a depressing turn for him. He did make a couple he did make a couple errors. I do think so. I mean, they brought I mean, Americans brought it to the table, but he uh, if only he would have read that treaty, I wonder what would have happened. I don't think much. Cuz I I mean, I I'd kind of take the I mean, Americans were coming. They were coming anyway. It doesn't right. matter if he signed it. I mean, not. right, they were winning now, but what happens when like you said the Civil War ended, right? Well, they did the same thing at the fort at the 1851 treaty and Red Cloud didn't sign that and they still broke it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they want what they wanted and they were going to get it no matter what. I can't think of a, of a timeline where the Americans don't come in and take the land. Right. They wanted it. So they were going to give it. I mean, they were, they were offering people like 
how many acres did you say either 160 or 220 or something like that oh uh, that's the homestead actually that's americans moving west right uh, but but they were i mean they did that giving away all that land without a care in the world so i mean what would have stopped them from oh you know what we're losing some battles so yeah you guys won this time no they would have just kept coming and coming right. and coming and also think of the economic impact so like the U.S. again just went through the Civil War. We're like twelve years removed from the Civil War in 1876, or when gold is found, it's nine years, less than a decade after. Uh, gold in that treasury sure sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's not. This is probably a, a larger conversation that needs to happen, but I almost I don't know what's worth how the how the pre, how President Grant who I love President Grant. This is absolutely the biggest stain on his character, in my opinion. Um, when the natives didn't want to play ball, they forced them to play ball. Like, And we'll see more of that in, in later episodes. But I don't know what would have been better policy to just continue to lie like they did or if they would have just said, hey, it's open war on the plains. We're taking everything. Right. The same result happens. I don't know which one I would be more disgusted with. I tend to think the open battle plan, we're going to fight it out until it's gone, would be a slightly better. But again, it's it's still genocide. It's whether it's cultural genocide or physical genocide. Take your pick. None of them are envious. Right. With that said, uh, he ha- are you satisfied? He has a total score of 11. Matt gave a 6 and I gave a 5. Next round, be sure you are right, then go ahead. This is our morality round. We are scoring from negative 10 to positive 10. And I think just as it's a tale of two stories before, it's kind of the opposite here. Because if you met him before he was 40, that was a brutal guy. scared. Yeah. And they were definitely scared of him. I mean, you had the guy or that whole tribe that like just let him beat that dude. Yeah, just, well, I guess he, he must have deserved it. Right. It's Red Cloud. Don't mess with him. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I think he was uh, pretty brutal. I'm going to, I think I'm going to do negative. Ooh, ooh, before, ooh. Okay. So let's keep in mind he does put the sword down and he does try to spend, after the Fort Laramie Treaty, he does spend of a, we're not going to beat them. We need, like, guys, we can't fight. They're going to win don't die like and he does think of his people the entire time now i don't want to give him a free pass on all of the brutality but that was like uh the cultural ways though as well right and i don't want to excuse that because we're gonna see murder like murder uh, i mean killing it was more it was a fair fight for the, it was kind of like, we're going to raid you, you're going to raid us, and we're just going to continue this chain. Right. Because the more horses we have that we take from you, the richer we are. So it's a dog-eat-dog, we, me-versus-you mentality. Right. And this is just what happens on those raids. I'm not going to excuse it. Like, it's not great. I just, I think negative is a little, little harsh because he was always thinking of his people. Right. Always. With that being said, I think I'm going to go three. Because, like you said, meeting him before he was, what, in his 20s, 30s, like, be afraid. 
yeah, 20 year old uh, or 30 year old red cloud. Uh, you run away from that man. I will go, I'll probably go a lot higher than that. Um, I'm not going to go 10. I'm not even going to go eight, but every movie had had the intention of his people in mind. He felt terrible after the person he loved committed suicide and he only kept one wife when he definitely could have married, um, married others. Um, I, I, I'm just going to hammer home that fact. Everything he did was for his people. He just happened to be the war chief and you're not going to be petting, petting kitties as the war chief. So I'm going to go seven. Um, just because I think, I think it was pretty good if you're just viewing it, um, as what he did for his people. And then after the the treaty, it was very much like, guys, we're not going to win this. Like we have to, we have to submit. They beat us, which is really depressing to take that kind of a warrior and just crush that spirit. Anyway, three and seven, that gives him 10 to hell with the consequences. This is how crazy or clever he was. Negative 10 is crazy. Positive 10 is he was very clever. I'm going to say six. Six? Why six? Because I think he was, like you said, he always made moves for his tribe, right? Um, so it's not like he just randomly ran out and attacked a bunch of people, right? For the heck of it. And even when he was um, a child, like what his first uh, his first war party was to avenge his cousin, was it? His father. Father. Oof, way off. Um. So yeah, like he, and then I mean he. Oh, obviously, sorry, uncle. Yep, sorry, I went. Sorry, his uncle, his father died. Okay, of I was gonna say I don't remember him avenging yep, his yep, father. Yep. Yeah, his father died of, but anyway, so his uncle. Um. And, like, he obviously got, like, respect was there from the beginning, you know? What did they chant? Red cloud is coming, or? Red cloud comes, red cloud comes. Yeah, red cloud comes, yeah. So, um, he wasn't crazy. Like, he didn't go insane. Even when, um, you know, he's like, guys, we have to sign this. Like, we will not win, you know? That's after the fact, but yes. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, but still. Um, I think... I'm going to go, I think six is a pretty good score. I might go a little bit higher than that. I might, um, I think it's easy to forget that when you hear of Native American war strategy, you don't really picture them planning. They just think they come in, they pop in, they devastate and they leave. Um, So I don't think a lot of war chiefs get a lot of the credit they deserve. And Red Cloud did know enough that he needed to just keep attacking, keep attacking, keep attacking to bring the United States to the negotiating table. And he did that. That's all good. Um, I will take a few points off for not actually. I don't want to take off too many because, again, I don't think it mattered if you read the treaty or not, but somebody should have. Like to take, I understand the stance he took of, I'm not going to do anything until the forts are abandoned and then I will come down and talk. Well, they started talking months before that. So yeah, 
Um, I'm going to go seven because I do think he was very clever. Um, he also survived a raid that when even when he was ambushed, he was able to belly crawl and get to a riverbank and survive. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. Okay, next category. So Red Cloud score is locked in. He is at 34 points right now, which means he is in the positive. So his score is locked in. So from here on out, we're going to continue to add points. If he had been at negative 34, we would continue to subtract points. This uh, category is how uh, is draw. How screwed are we if we would be in a duel with Red Cloud? I think we're Very. in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go high. I'm going to say like probably like an eight. Eight? Why are you saying eight? Uh, look at the guy. He saved the dude from drowning. I mean, and then slammed a knife through his heart yes. and then scalped him. Uh, he shot a couple guys in the, the head or one guy in the head three times with arrows. Like, obviously, he was a good fighter and a good warrior. So I agree. Not it for me. I'm not going to upset him just as, and I think what's terrifying with, with those raids, uh, the purpose of it was to get more horses and to get experience for warriors. So it doesn't matter. You're like, I I can be an innocent victim, Aaron. It, it won't matter in the moment. So I, I think that eight is just fine. Just to give you context, you gave an eight to uh to james bowie and a nine to jesse james so i think that's a pretty good score i am going hmm, i think i'm gonna go a little lower i'm gonna go with a seven because i think that's a good score i don't really have much to add to that 15 for draw next round legacy how well known is he again matt and i are going to hand out points from uh from zero to ten based on how well we think he's remembered in history i think he was a big part but unfortunately not well known so i'm going to go and say four i think that he is just one unfortunately one of the lost names in history he is kind of that second tier of names known because i think you initially go to sitting bull and crazy horse um i think tecumseh is a bigger name than him but i don't think he's much bigger uh i gave tecumseh a seven but that was because i really wanted him to be because i still have my my history crush on him um i'm gonna go slightly lower than tecumseh six or uh, five or six I will say he is involved in a lot of the lead up that goes into like sitting bowl and uh, crazy horses generation. Like he sets a lot of that up. He is the one that carries that torch. And he brought the United States to the negotiating table. That can't be overstated. Yeah. I think uh, the uh, book yeah, I used true. was uh, the one sec. What was the, the long title? The book I used is The Heart of Everything That Is by Bob Drury and Tom Clavin. And they even, I don't agree with their point, but they said that he is the only one to win a war against the United States. Uh, that basically means that the, 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 the tribes got everything they wanted 
and the United States had to give up a fair amount. I don't really agree with that because one, the War of 1812 happened, and two, the reservation system is pretty damning. But um, bringing the U.S. to the negotiating table is so big. So I think (laughs) I'm going to go with a seven because I think that's impressive. Sticky. Okay, that brings the score to 11. Next round, death bonus. Well, we're just going to offer bonus points from zero to two points if we think he had a an above average death story. And I just don't think he does. No, he does not. So I would say a zero. I mean, he lived a full life. He was almost, what, 90? 80? 90? Yep, born in 1822. And we don't know exactly uh, when he was born in 1822. But... Um, yeah, I've lived until 1809, so that's high score is what that is. Um, I'm also going to say zero. It's He does a lot of impressive things, and he lives very right. long. But Right. Next round, counting coup. Here we are going to find their confirmed-ish kills and then divide that number by 10. And this is 20? a real complicated one. 25? 30? <laughs> all of the above. Red Cloud would claim to be in 67 fights. So don't quite wow. know what that means. By just the stories I told in in the narrative, uh, that was six. He also led men into battle. So if we give him the token point for being a soldier plus six, that's 1.6. But that number could be so much higher. Um, right. Yep. So unless you have any better ideas, I'm sticking with 16, but no, that is, that number is probably a lot higher up to 67 is what he's claimed for fights. So, Oh, geez. All right. All right. Any, any, any disagreement say I. All right. So that gives him 1.6. 16 is what we're giving him credit for. So that brings up his final score to 61.6. For context, that is, with our new scores, Wild Bill Hickok got a 60.7. So he just edged out Wild Bill. And with that, we just have one more thing to do, and that is to draft him. And I have the coin ready. Matt, call it in the air. I will say heads. And and it is. It's heads. Awesome. Do you want? And that is. Do you want to draft my guy? Good old Mister Red Cloud. (sighs) That makes me taking him. I did want him. I'm keeping it going, you know. The I, I'm going for the the high octane <laughs> killers. <laughs> I, I mean, I would be worried about Red Cloud in the first half of his life. The second half, it just gets really dirty. yeah. It gets really yeah. It just gets really so sad. That actually, with your team, Billy the Kid, because of a trade, that's probably going to come back to bite me in the butt. Calamity Jane. Shaking in her boots because next to her, Jesse James, James Bowie, and then Tenskwatawa and Red Cloud. 
And while I have Wild Bill Hickok, Daniel Boone, Tecumseh, David Crockett, and William Barrett Travis. Those are our teams so far, unless Matt wants to trade me Red Cloud, huh? Nope, 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 nope. We'll see. We'll see what what's the future holds for us. We'll see. I We have some big names coming up in the next couple of months because in June is actually Little Bighorn. So we're going to talk about Custer, Crazy Horse, and Sitting Bull. And I have the research done for those. And they're all very good or interesting. Custer's not. Well, you look, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Just don't spoil anything. Don't spoil anything. He's worth drafting, if you're wondering. He does live up to the hype of whatever hype you have in his head or in your head about him. So with that, I think that's all we have on Red Cloud. Putting the pen in him. He's done. Yeah, well, and... Uh, in case you are, are new to us, we did just start a WordPress site. If you're looking to keep up, know who the teams are, anything like that, go check that out. Uh, Not only can you check us out there, but if you like what you heard today, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe and leave us a review. We would love that. We love hearing from you. Um, we do have an email, ranking76pod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ranking 76 podcast. And we do have a Facebook group, Ranking 76, the American West. Go ahead and follow that group. With that said, that's I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And we will see you next time.